1: series called Bad Girls and man my wife kicked it off last week. I'm so thankful for her. She's kinda like the OG bad girl. I said in the first service that I call her that later on. And uh that was slightly embarrassing and, and inappropriate. So I thought I'd say it again. Um <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. Uh man we're 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 this is just I promise you this is gonna be a great series for the next few weeks. There's so much that really is kind of embedded in it that I think is going to be really good for you. I'm going to guess if you got tissues handy, you probably won't get them ready because we're all going to be crying by the time this one's over with. Okay, just to let you know, next week is Father's Day. Um, We love uh, love families. We, We love celebrating our moms, and we love also celebrating our dads. All right. I don't need to remind the moms to get presents. Moms always tend to remember that sort of thing. But, we, we, you know, we, we're going to celebrate y'all next week at, at church, and we're going to do some baptisms, okay? So uh, if you have experienced the, the miracle of salvation, if you've given your life to Jesus and you've never been baptized. Now, we're not trying to argue against maybe you were dedicated or baptized as a child. We're not. Baptism for us is an outward sign of an inward change. It really is under the water to symbolize being dead to Christ, out of the water to symbolize being raised to new life. We want to do that to celebrate within the community of faith that you're a part of this decision that you've made. If you haven't ever done that, Uh, We'd love to celebrate that with you. You can stop at guest services on your way out. We'll be baptizing in between services, so if you attend like this one, if you attend the second service, get here a little early, and those who attend the first service will probably plan on staying a little late. It'll be outside in the parking lot. That'll be next week. Now, last week when uh, we kicked off this series, I told you that there is embedded within the hearts of men and women different identities. And this comes from God. It begins very early in the Bible and it stays with us throughout the entire time. God has, has placed that, that identity of, of man and that identity of woman. And they have different uh, priorities. We, we talked about that last week. But today I want to talk to you about how that works out in our, in our relationships. Because obviously, you know we, we live in a world that's filled with not just men and not just women, and that does create a texture to the way that we relate to each other. I remember when I was doing my coursework for um, for teaching if you don't know, I, I taught in public school and, uh, when I, when I was working towards that accreditation, I remember hearing that that this plays out significantly in elementary grades. And I went back and actually found the research just to share it with you. Female teachers call on boys more often than girls. Ask boys more higher order questions, give boys more extensive feedback and use longer wait time with boys than girls. Now, if you're an elementary teacher, you're already aware of this, right? So what's happened is out of that research that came out about 20 years ago we've created an awareness to try to make sure that we're being equitable in the way that we question kids but what did that research show it showed that that identity of man and woman even in a non-sexual environment still has an impact on interaction and relationship so how do we navigate that the way we navigate it in life is by setting up boundaries Early in my my ministry, I was encouraged that you stay sin-free by staying away. You stay sin-free by staying away. Boys minister to boys. Girls minister to girls. This is where the very now famous Billy Graham rule came from. This idea that Billy Graham said, I'll never be alone in a room with just a woman. There are a lot of politicians over the years that have adopted that boundary. A, a, a lot of, of pastoral leaders or religious leaders have adopted that boundary. So those are boundaries. Now, when I was in South Carolina, before we moved here, I, I led at our church there, I led a, a small group of, of men, just men. And uh, I loved them. These were, I mean high-level leaders in our community, CEOs, deans of colleges, presidents of banks, doctors, dentists. And we would get together, and there I was in the middle of all of those guys, and we would talk about the Bible. They'd come in and ask me a question, and I'd kind of answer it. We'd process that stuff together. I love those men. I learned so much from them. Grew as a leader. And so when we... Decided that we were gonna move back to Albemarle and we were gonna start a church. The first people that I told were those guys. And I invited them each out to lunch. I paid for it, which meant we probably went to some Mexican place. we sat down. And I told them, This is where I'm moving to Albemarle. Where's that? I don't even know how to tell you. I don't know. We're gonna plan a church. We excited about it we feel like God's calling us to do this and then I would wrap it up by asking them this question you know me you've walked with me you've you've led with me I've learned from you our our families have hung out do you have any advice for me is there something you see in my leadership that needs to be addressed and I remember when I did that with my friend, Ed. Ed was really the reason we'd gotten to that church. He was the president of a bank. And he'd become very good friends with my wife and I. And Ed looked at me and goes, you really want me to answer that question? You know that when somebody asks you that, they're about to say something's gonna hurt your feelings. He looked at me and said, Kevin, when you asked me lunch on Sunday, you walked up to me. My wife was standing right next to us. You didn't talk to her. You didn't even acknowledge her. You talked to me. Then you walked away. And what happened after that has happened several times. She looked over at me with tear-filled eyes. And she asked me, why doesn't he like me? What, what have I done to him? Why, do, why doesn't he, why didn't he talk to me? He said, Kevin, it's happened so many times. I've seen it happen with others. If you're ever going to minister, you're going to have to learn how to minister to men and women. Because if you only minister to men, you're only ministering to 50% of the people in the room. So what do we do? Go back to God's Word. God, help me. Help me see. And you know, we find wisdom for the answers of life's questions in God's Word often through the life of Jesus. Jesus is the model. He's the one that the Bible says that we are destined to be conformed into His image. And it might be easy for you to say, but yeah, but Jesus, so long ago, 2,000 years, I mean, did He really even face the stuff that we're Dealing with today, I mean, do you know the stuff that I can see on my phone? Do you know how easy it is to get in this kind of interaction or that? You know, the first century wasn't so different than our culture. Roman culture was highly sexualized. You think of the images you could find on your phone. All somebody had to do was walk out and walk down the street and they could see those. Real easy. And in that culture, that highly sexualized culture, women were often degraded and devalued. Jesus was so very different. In a culture that demeaned women, Jesus treated women with dignity, with honor and with value, and if you pay attention to the life of Jesus, Jesus, a man in that culture, wasn't afraid to be relational with a woman. As a matter of fact, if you go back to that moment where I walked up to my friend Ed, and I literally didn't even acknowledge his wife or speak to his wife, if you look at the life of Jesus, that didn't look anything like Jesus. Luke chapter 8 lists out a, a list of women. It starts with this, the very first thing out of the gate. List out a group of women that were in leadership within the ministry of Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. These are married women and single women. We know that because their husbands are talked about and it's their, their, their relationship status is talked about. All of that's talked about right there. And we know that they had a... A role within His ministry of supporting His ministry. It's not real clear what that support exactly was. We know that the 12 disciples were leading, but these women had prominent leadership roles in supporting. If you just walk that back just a little bit, Luke chapter 7, right before this list occurs, Jesus is having dinner with Simon the Pharisee. And the woman is nameless but listed as a sinful woman is in the room praying over Jesus' feet, crying, weeping, pouring perfume over Him. He wasn't afraid of their affection. He wasn't afraid to be close. And He describes that in that much has been forgiven so there must be a lot of love that's expressed. He wasn't afraid to receive that. So I just want to make a few simple Observations about this to help just kind of see how we should navigate this. And it's number one healthy relationships have healthy boundaries. Healthy relationships have healthy boundaries. Jesus, a man, was not afraid to interact with a woman, he wasn't afraid. Of the affection, he didn't push it away. And so you have to ask the question what then is a healthy boundary? And I want to give you some principles to walk through. And instead of describing what that is, I want to tell you how to get to them. If you're single in here, you need to have somebody in your life that you talk to about the boundaries in your life, somebody that loves you. You say, hey, would it be smart to in invite my boyfriend over? You know, I met him a few weeks ago, and we just started dating. Would it be smart to invite him over for a for an evening alone? A lot of times you'll be surprised what you hear. No, yeah, that's stupid. You don't need to go out, go out somewhere. If you're a single guy, and you're like, you know, I mean, I've got this friend and she's a girl at work you know I mean she she asked me if I could take her home you reach out and you ask somebody well you're not thinking about it and they go well what if she decides to accuse you of something it's just you too what would you have to say about it healthy boundaries healthy relationships have healthy boundaries and if you're single it is really wise to have somebody that's in your life that you can ask those questions to. If you're married, okay, y'all listen to me. When you're married, everything works the same way. It's not yours, it's not theirs, it's ours. It's not my time and your time, it's our time. It's not my money and your money, it's our money. That's That's how you do it in marriage, the right way, okay? So when it comes to relationships and friends, That's the right way to do it. It's not my relationships or your relationships. These are our relationships. It's not my friends and your friends. These are our friends. So come to, if you're married, come to agreement on what the healthy boundaries are. And then be extremely vigilant about enforcing those boundaries. But I want you to see this. Number two, to be like Jesus, we must live with the purposes of Jesus. So you can take the behaviors of Jesus and apply a different purpose and you get in a bad place. And I don't want any of y'all walking out of here and going, hey, listen, the reason I was stopping off and having a few drinks with that girl from my works because Pastor Kevin said we can be friends with girls, okay? No, don't co-opt the behaviors of Jesus to your own purposes. For Jesus, all relationships had redemptive purposes. All of them did. He was willing to get close to somebody to help them take the next step in their faith. Jesus wasn't afraid to get close to the women in his world. And today we're actually going to look at the longest recorded conversation with Jesus in the Bible. It's a nameless girl at a well in the middle of the day. And I'm so thankful to get to introduce the girl from our staff that's going to share with you today. Her name's Maddie. So proud of who Maddie has become. And it is a, a becoming story. As a junior in high school, about seven, eight years ago, Maddie came and said, Hey, could could I come by and help you? Do you need help during the summer? I'll I'll come by. She came by and she swept the floors and she did the dishes and she made the copies. You know what? Before long, she was my personal assistant and she went to um, Liberty University, graduated with a degree in, in ministry and leadership. She became our church administrator after that. She's done such a good job. People visit, literally, this is no joke, people visit from other churches and they go, if Maddie ever wants to leave, just tell her to send us her resume. We'd be happy to hire her. And then... About six months ago, she stepped in to become our youth pastor. She's leading our student ministry. My wife and I love her. Hey, I, we, we've, she's my cousin, okay, but we've now adopted her as a daughter. Y'all know that you, you need some family that's not family. The other day we were cleaning up, and we, call that, we, get, we all get involved, and we call that Team Simmons, right? <laughs> and my son, Clay, goes, we're all doing it. Well, except Maddie, because she's not here right now. <laughs> We're so proud of who she is. Today, she's going to bless you. So would you all welcome Maddie Brown.
0: Thanks for that introduction. Don't get too impressed. It's set your bar low. Um, But I do want to thank Pastor Kevin and Amanda. I would not be here today speaking from this stage if it wasn't for them um, loving me empowering me. I'm already crying, so get ready. Um but thank y'all um your love and your empowerment has changed um my life and where I am today so I'm very thankful for y'all. So today I do get to talk about a bad girl of the Bible and I'm honored man who want who wouldn't want to talk about a bad girl right Um, But before getting started, I do want to give some background of what is happening in the world at this point of time. You see, Jesus and his disciples were in um, Judea. And I'm going to explain this a little later for it to make sense. And they were baptizing people. And then Jesus made the decision because he knew the Pharisees had heard that they were baptizing people. He was like, we need to travel to Judea. And there's a a big tension with this because if we look at this map, you see that Judea is down here and Galilee is at the top. And there's this big section right here that is called Samaria. And because Jesus and his disciples were Jews, um, Jews tended to go around Samaria because they were not welcome. They did not interact with each other. And so... Typically, they they were in Judea and would walk all the way around, traveling much longer so they didn't have to interact with the people in Samaria. But Jesus, in this story, changed that. He actually said to his disciples, we have to go through Samaria. And I can imagine in this moment, his disciples were like, are you sure, Jesus? Like, We're Jews. They're Samaritans. How are we going to do that? This is going to be really uncomfortable. But Jesus was like, no, we have to go. We have to go through Samaria. And so they start traveling. They get to Samaria. And because it's a long travel, they decided to stop at this well. And because they were tired, Jesus sat down and told his disciples to go to the village and get some food and drink Um, For them And so they left Which meant that Jesus was all alone At this well And so The next part of the story There's a Samaritan woman who comes up By herself to draw some water And this is where it all gets weird And this is where we meet The bad girl Of the story You see a Samaritan woman comes up And Jesus actually talks to her He says, hey, can you give me a drink? And this is so not common because there's two things. One, it's noontime. And back in those days, the women usually typically um, walked together as a group. And they walked in the morning when it wasn't hot, when it wasn't the heat of the day, right? But this woman was by herself. And it was noontime. And then the second thing, Jesus talked to her. Just like Pastor Kevin just said, like the interaction between women and men were were not together. But Jesus broke those barriers, right? In this moment, he asked this woman for a drink. And after asking, the woman was probably really confused because men didn't talk to her. This wasn't a common thing. And so the woman actually asked Jesus, why are you asking me for a drink? Like, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus responds the way Jesus can only respond. And he said, if you only knew the gift God has for you, you would ask me for living water. Living water. Not, he's not talking about physical water. But in a moment like this, the woman, one, doesn't recognize that this is Jesus, and two, she thinks he's talking about the physical water that they both need in this moment. And so the woman doubts Jesus. She's like, well, how are you going to get this water, this living water? You don't have a rope or a bucket. Like, how are you going to get this water? I want to ask you a question do you ever think we get so distracted by our shame, by our brokenness, by our sin, that we miss the opportunity that God is presenting right in front of us? Obviously, Jesus is not face-to-face with us right now, but he still provides. He still gives us opportunities. Do you think we ever miss them? Because in this moment, this woman does. She doesn't recognize who Jesus is. She doesn't recognize that he's talking about living water, something a lot different than just physical water. And so in this moment, she doubts him. She's like, how are you going to get it? And then Jesus responds by saying, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So he separates it. It's like, no, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty. But if you drink the water I give, you'll never be thirsty again. And I'm really like in this moment, I think he's just dumbing it down for right? Sometimes we need that he's like no I have something different but the woman still doesn't recognize that this is Jesus but she she does want this water and so she replies by saying please sir give me this water then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water she won't have to come here where is she at the well the well where she goes by herself the well where she's an outcast. She's like, I want this water because I don't want to come here physically, but I also think emotionally too. She's got something going on inside of her that needs to be taken away from her. So she's like, I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't want to come back. I don't want to have to come back by myself each and every day. Do you think... Do you ever think to yourself, why am I here again? Why am I here again? Maybe a couple years ago you went through some kind of trial, some pain and you feel like you overcame it and you were good, but then the next week you're like, "Oh, I'm here again." Why am I here again and I feel like in this moment This woman was asking herself the same thing. She's been battling something inside of her. And we see it because Jesus brings up something in the next verse. And he says, go and get your husband. If you don't know the story, you're like, well, why is that a big deal? Like, just go and get your husband. But the problem is, this is where we see where This girl is a bad girl. She's had five husbands. And she's not living with a man she's married to. She's had five husbands. And then just a moment, this changes because Jesus brings up her biggest pain. Her biggest struggle. The biggest thing that she's been battling with. Is our relationships with other guys, and often when I read this story, I think to myself, like, Jesus, why, why do you have to bring that up, right? Why do you have to bring up some? She already knows, and oftentimes I'm like, isn't that condemning? But I realize that we don't serve a God that who that condemns us, right? He wanted to do something more. And I don't think he brought this up to call her an immoral woman. I don't think that's why. I think there's something so much bigger. He wanted to heal her. He wanted to heal her by bringing up her biggest pain. And maybe you're here today and you're struggling with some pain I want to let you know that number one God wants to heal you he wants to heal you I can say this because I know we all struggle with pain but pain is always connected to healing it always is I mean let's think about it physically maybe you hurt your shoulder or your knee and it it was painful but then you have to go through physical therapy and that pain is a lot worse, right? But it means you're healing. I mean, it's not just physical either. It's em- emotionally and mentally. I mean, I've struggled with this over the past couple of years. There's been some things that have been really hard. And honestly, I just tried to put a Band-Aid over it. And it's like, Maddie, you're good. You got this. But I kept asking myself, why am I here again? So I had to get help. And you know what? It was painful. But it led to healing. The way to healing always goes through pain. You can't get out of it. It's going to be painful. So what pain is Jesus trying to reveal to you today? What is it? Because I know we all have pain. Maybe it's the pain of regret. Maybe you've done something. You did something 20 years ago and it still lives inside of you. You still struggle with the pain of hurting others. Maybe it's jealousy. You're longing to be loved like this woman was, but you find yourself jealous over something so little. Or maybe it's The pain of hurt or betrayal, you had nothing to do with it, but you still live with it inside of you. What pain is God revealing to you today? Because God often heals us by revealing the broken longings of our heart. The broken longings, just like this woman who had five husbands. And she wasn't even married to the guy that she was living with now what is the broken longings that god's trying to reveal to you so the story doesn't end there you see when jesus tried to reveal um her biggest pain she actually tried to shift the focus any of y'all do that you're like okay jesus i hear you what other pain can we talk about right so she tries to shift her problem to a bigger problem in the world. And that, back in those days, worship was a big problem because Samaritans actually worshiped somewhere else and Jews worshiped somewhere else. And so she was like, Where, what is the right thing to do? Which is valid. And so I love how Jesus responds because he answers her, but he doesn't get distracted. He doesn't get distracted by her question. He's still focused on her, still focused on healing her. Because we see this in the next couple of verses, because at the end of their conversation, he does something that he hasn't done before. That was to reveal himself to her, because she still doesn't know who he is. And so in verses 26, 28, and 29, he said that Jesus told her, I am the Messiah (laughs) the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone come and see a man who told me everything I ever did could he possibly be the Messiah in the gospel of John this was the first person he told he told this broken woman who traveled to the well by herself He revealed himself to her so why why did he tell her i mean he had met higher authorities before her met people who liked who was well liked so why did he tell her i believe god wanted to do something more than just kill her he wanted to free her and today God wants to heal you, but also God wants to free you. If you didn't notice in the verses we just read, it said that she left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. She left the only purpose. She left her the brokenness, she left the sin. She she ran back to the place where she was an outcast, where she wasn't liked. And she, she said, he told me everything I ever did. I mean, if that's not freedom, I don't know what is. And there's an important lesson that we learn in this story, that shame will keep you in prison, but the truth, the truth will be the only thing that will set you free. Shame will keep you going to that well by yourself at noontime. Shame will keep you in prison, but when we come face to face with God, it will set you free. It will set you free. It won't matter what you've done or what you do. You will run back. And say, God's changed me. He's told me everything I ever did. You see, Jesus used her story to set her free. But before he could use her story, she had to face it. She had to own it, and she had to repent for it. She had to face it. She had to come face to face with her story. It would be awesome if the story just stopped there. I mean, God freed her, but it didn't stop there. So let's look at the next verses. It says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. They said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Many Samaritans from the the village believed because of what? The woman. They believed because of her story. So not only does God want to heal you today, for you today but God wants to use your story. He wants to use your story. All this woman had was her story and her voice. Her story well where it was broken. Where she felt shame. And her voice, where she didn't get to use it because people didn't like her. She was an outcast. All this woman had was her story and her voice, and God intended to use both. So I'm going to tell you today whatever you have today, God has a good plan for it. He has a good plan. Maybe you're here today and you're just like that woman who has broken relationships after broken relationship. And you're like, how can God use my story? It's so broken. It's, there's no way God can use it. Or maybe you're here today and you have, you're filled with hurt. You've been filled with hurt over and over and you're like, I can't. I can't do anything with it. God's certainly not gonna use it. Or maybe you're here and you you come addicted to something and you can't get out of it. You're saying I'm too broken. I can't do this. Or maybe you're here with insecurity in yourself. Saying, God can never use me. I'm never going to be good enough. But God wants to use your story. But before God can use your story, you've got to own it. You've got to own it. You've got to say, yes, I've had broken relationship after broken relationship. But God, I want you to still use it. Or maybe it's hurt or Betrayal or pain or whatever it is. You have to own it. You have to tell yourself I'm not too far from God for him to use my story. This woman owned her story. This woman that was by herself owned her story. She ran back to the village and said he told me everything I ever did. I don't think it was just think She had more sin than just broken relationships. And the thing is, when she ran back, those people knew. They, they've seen her. They knew her struggle. They knew her brokenness, but she still owned it. Where she was an outcast, she was free to use her story. Do not let your past rob your future. I don't care what you did yesterday. Do not allow your past to rob your future because God has a good plan to use it. Did you notice in this story when she ran back to the village, the people believed her. They believed her story first. The people who didn't like her who called her an outcast they believed her story and then that led to them believing in Jesus for God to use your story it needs to point to him not you I think it's really easy to get face to face with Jesus and him to reveal and heal and free us and Make it all about us. And this woman could have easily done that. She could have kept it to herself, but she was so free that she made it about Jesus. It's like he told me everything I ever did. So I want to remind you that at the beginning of this story, Jesus said that he had to go through Samaria. He knew it. His disciples didn't. He knew that there was this woman who was broken, who was lost, who needed him. And so he chose to go in the brokenness. He chose to go through the pain. He chose this woman and he healed her. He freed her and he used her story. And you want to know what? This woman was unnamed. Unnamed. She didn't have a name. And I believe this woman didn't have a name because we could all be her. We could all be her. We come in with pain. We come in with hurt. We go to our well by ourselves, hoping that it'll just be over one day. But it's not. We keep going It's not too late. You might be in here today and you're like, I've lived through this. I can't get over it. I'm too old. God can't use my story, but it's not too late. God wants to heal you. He wants to heal you from your pain. He wants to free you. And he wants to use your story. He wants all three of those. But it starts by owning your story. So to finish this message, I'm going to ask Pastor Kevin back on stage.
1: Wasn't that good? Oh man, give it up for Maddie. If you pay attention to the narrative of the text, one of the things you're going to notice is nobody's there. Jesus, a Jew, a man... And this unnamed woman, middle of the day, Samaritan, sinful woman, bad girl. So here's a question. How'd this conversation get into the Bible? The Gospel of John. The last Gospel written. First Gospel that's written is the Gospel of Mark written circus somewhere 60 AD about 30 years after the death of Jesus within the next 15 years Matthew and Luke using the template of Mark are then written again to account from different perspectives the life of Jesus 90 AD John is an old man why why does this conversation make it in As an old man, literally 60 years later, there was something so significant about that moment for him. That when he thinks about what needs to be told about the life of Jesus... I mean, the first two chapters are setting up the ministry of Jesus. John 3 is epic. A conversation with the Pharisee Nicodemus, which is where we get John 3.16. And then it's John 4. The entire chapter devoted to this conversation. That's how much landscape He gives to it. Something so significant happened here that decades later, John is like, if you're going to understand Jesus, you've got to hear this. I sat around for days listening to what happened. John's one of the disciples. I going to reread some of what Maddie read in verse 39 and 40 and 41. Many of the Samaritans from that town, believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. What did she say? He told me everything I ever did. Her greatest source of shame when redeemed by God became her source of influence. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Him, they urged Him to stay with them. And He stayed two days And because of his words, many more became believers. Now John says something earlier in this chapter that Maddie mentioned several times. What did he say? John said, now he had to go through Samaria. Did he have to go through Samaria? No, he didn't. As a matter of fact, many Jews didn't. They would add a day to their travel time so that they could simply go around Samaria. But for this woman, the first of, if you paid, it's as if there's just dominoes falling after she gives her life to the Lord. Other lives, other lives, other lives. When that woman owned her story, so many more lives were changed. So many more. And I want you to see this. Her past was filled with pain. The only way out of it was through it. Some of y'all, I, I know in a room, like, I know. I know where a lot of us are coming from. There's pain. There's pain in the past. And what do we do? We try to run from it. We try to make excuses for it. We try to hide. I don't want to deal with that. I can deal with that later. No, let's just talk about something else. I don't want to deal with that. Don't You want to know what happens to unaddressed pain? It informs the way you live now. If you don't address past trauma, all you're inviting is trauma into your present. So what's the most loving thing that Jesus could do in that moment was address her pain. Because the only way out of it was to go through it. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid because you are with me. Me through the pain. What pain do you sense God calling you into? Oh, I didn't want to go there. I've been avoiding that. I didn't want to talk about that. I had nobody, nobody's even been able to touch that. I didn't want to. What pain is God calling you into? It's scary. You've ran from it. You've avoided it. But here's why God's calling you into it. There's freedom on the other side of your pain. There's healing on the other side of your pain. There's joy again on the other side of your pain. But you've got to go through it. You've got to stop running from it. That's what happened to this woman. A life spent running. A life spent trying to find healing, and all of a sudden, Jesus exposes it. There's healing and freedom, and God uses it. Thanks for listening.
0: This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more
1: information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.